Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring and help raise some money for COVID relief, please join us every Wednesday at 5 o'clock for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are available at pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Hello, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. This is a special edition of the Boston Podcast. I was lucky enough to participate in a panel discussion recently put on by the LMA. That's the Legal Marketers Association. All you podcasters out there will find lots of great tips on how to make your show better, why you should launch a podcast, whether you should launch a podcast, how to distribute it, how to market it, all kinds of good stuff. So this edition of the Boston Podcast is brought to you by LMA, a community that brings together all types of industry specialists from firms of all sizes. Go to legalmarketing.org to learn more and to download their membership brochure. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Podcasting for Lawyers. Ever since Serial was uploaded to the web in 2014, the popularity of podcasts has skyrocketed. But can podcasts be an effective marketing tool for lawyers? As clients continue to be inundated with email alerts and webinar invitations from law firms, how can podcasts help your lawyers stand out from the crowd? Join us and a panel of experts to find out, among other things, why many lawyers are trying their hand at podcasting, how podcasts can be a powerful tool for business development, why a good podcast can nudge prospective clients to hire lawyers, why podcasting is being embraced by law firms large and small, how much money and time is required to produce a podcast, and what are the ingredients for a compelling podcast. So this and many other topics will be discussed today. Uh, I am today's moderator. My name is Scott Ziegler. I am the advertising director at Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly and also the chair of the Boston uh, Local Steering Committee for LMA. On our panel today, we have David Yaz Esquire, founder and CEO of the Boston Podcast Network. David has been producing podcasts since 2015 and has put his signature on approximately 1,000 episodes as a creative influence, host, editor, and promoter. He is the host of the Boston Podcast, one of the city's few independent daily shows, which has logged more than 70,000 downloads. David spent many years in the newspaper business. He was publisher of Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly, which he guided to an all-time high in paid circulation and profits. A lawyer for more than 20 years, Early in his career, he practiced law with Roberto Israel and Weiner. We also have on the panel, Greg Fleischman. He's Director of Global Business Development and Marketing at Sidley Austin. Greg heads the Global Business Development and Marketing function at Sidley, leading a broad and diverse global team responsible for practice and industry growth, client development, and marketing programs. Prior to joining Sidley, Greg served as Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler, Global Marketing Director at Baker McKenzie, and previously held several marketing leadership roles at Deloitte. Early in his career, Greg lived in Japan, learned Japanese, and was a news reporter on Japanese television and radio for over 10 years. And finally on our panel, we have Matt Weaver, Senior Manager of Marketing and Communications at Choate Hall Stewart and Choate Investment Advisors. Matt has more than 13 years of experience creating and managing fully integrated communication strategies for law firms, investment funds, and Fortune 500 corporations during times of crisis 
and opportunity. So, distinguished panel and guests, we're gonna kick off this uh, discussion with a question for David Yaz, and I think it's a good place to start. Why do people like podcasts? I was told that there was gonna be some kind of buffet along with this. Do we get fed later or was, is, is that not happening, Scott? Uh, yeah, check your inbox. Uh, I'm emailing you. Mailed you, me, uh, you mailed me a sandwich? A picture of a sandwich. Thank you, Scott. And by the way, I suppose guiding the paper to an all-time high in circulations, I suppose the advertising director had something to do with that as well. Why do people love podcasts? I think it's, it's the new shiny toy when it comes to the media. It's a combination of, of storytelling and an intimate way of communicating your message that is unlike any other. Um, when we listen to a podcast, which is, is many of us do, the, the speaker is literally in your ear. You're typically listening on headphones or perhaps in the car, but it's not like some background noise radio. It's getting to know people in this, as I say, intimate way. And I think podcasts are great because they, they are like a, the Swiss army knife of media. They can be news, they can be analysis, they can be just stories, they can be produced up documentaries. They typically come in bite-sized fashion. And in the same way that you get addicted to a great story that like a book you read at the beach or some series on Netflix, you can't stop binging. Podcasting has that same kind of hook. That's why I think people love podcasts. Let me turn to uh, Matt Weaver. What inspired you to look into developing podcasts for your firm? I think like a lot of firms, you know, we, we really strive to put out as much thought leadership as we can, right? If we think about that top of funnel brand awareness, um, I think thought leadership is one of the easiest tools for firms to conceivably, you know, get, get on board with um, but like a lot of firms, you know, we found that uh, differentiating our voice in a really crowded environment was hard. Um, I know everyone on this call has probably at some point in their career uh, seen the print version of the Legal 500. Um, you know, there's, there's thousands upon thousands of names, right? There's 200 firms in the AMLAW, but, you know, countless other firms out there all trying to kind of get their share of voice out of the market. Um, you know, that only can be taken so far. Um, so for us, it was about figuring out how to do more owned media and kind of develop our own platform. Um, podcast was, was one tool in the toolbox for us. Um, you know, and, and so it kind of, kind of puts the, the O in that peso model that we're all trying to strive for. Um, and I think the other piece of podcast is it was a good way to kind of address captive audiences from kind of the voice standpoint but when we publish podcasts, we also run the full transcript of the podcast. So it also retains that uh, important SEO, you know, long tail key, uh, long tail keyword, short tail keyword uh, concepts on the, on the website for us. So it, it just checked a lot of boxes. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's pretty cool to tell people that you, you produce podcasts. Um, I do have a question for Greg, and that is, how do you plan podcasts as part of a larger marketing and communications program. Sure. Thanks, Scott. Hope uh, you can hear me. I got myself off mute. Um, we, um, I mean, that's, you know, sort of a, admittedly a little bit of a planted question, right? So I do think podcasts as, uh, you know, as David said, sort of the new shiny object. Um, as we all know, lawyers throw shiny objects our way all the time. And so in this case, sometimes lawyers have come to us and say, I want to do podcasts. A lot of our lawyers do not. In other words, even when and it's, it's sort of another topic, but even when you do reach out to lawyers, there's some reticence, right? So it just sort of depends on, on the person. Um, I routinely, just in the spirit of sort of differentiating between strategies and tactics, I don't need a podcast program, right? That's not a critical thing. What, what I need is a marketing communication program and various ways to get people's attention. I need good content. I need good ways of deploying that content. And so, you know, podcasts, um, as a shiny new object can get attention, but I'm never just thinking about what's the next podcast topic? Who am I going to invite to it? Right. I, I what I want is, um, I guess the other, you know, sort of, uh, you know, good term on this is a content strategy, right? What are the topics that we are trying to be known for? Um, and it can't be everything. If you're trying to be special on everything, you're special on nothing. Right. So what are the key topics we want to be known for? Who are the key spokespeople, the best people to, you know, deliver 
you know, that, that content vis-a-vis -vis their experience and expertise. And then what are the different ways and tactics in which we deliver that? You know, essentially, we don't make widgets. It's, it boils down to writing and talking, <laughs> you know, essentially. So the, the podcast, in my, in my opinion, is a, a critical piece to delivering. Of course, I don't have to go down this road. It's critical right now. I mean, there are, you know, some of the other avenues by which we might have done the speaking part are not available, the live event settings. So there's, you know, webinars and things like that. So that's how we think about podcasts is it's not in and of itself. It's not a strategy. It's a tactic. It's a delivery mechanism for our content strategy. David. Yes, sir. I have a question for you. How can a My podcast stand out? I'm told that there are approximately 100 billion podcasts out there. It might be more than that, but I'm, I'm lowballing. Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you how do you make your podcast or any podcast stand out in the sea of 100 billion podcasts? I think there are about a million, but you know, I was, someday, I was close. Someday, Scott, there'll be more podcasts than there are people on the planet Earth. That's that's just science. But the the how do you make it stand out? The the I'd sort of answer the question. The question is, is it what do you mean by stand out, and do you really need it to stand out? One of the great fallacies of podcasting is that it's like starting your own radio show. And now, you know, going live on Monday, here we are with the, the Smith & Smith podcast. <clears throat> Fact of the matter is, I like to think of podcasting more like a great alternative to a speaking engagement. So if you could put, say, call it 200 to 300 people in a conference room every week, Tuesday morning at 8.30 a.m., and they were corporate influence makers and they were potential clients and they were clients of yours. And you knew you were going to have that wrapped audience because you're giving away, you know, free danishes and coffee and they're going to be there every week. You think about how much that would cost and what a logistical nightmare it would be to, and why would someone want to come to your office necessarily every week, but they will listen to a podcast every week. And so if you reach, if you're reaching the 200, 300 people consistently, then you're doing your version of standing out, in the crowd. Now there are all kinds, I'm, I'm biased and I don't want to turn this into an ad for pod 617, the Boston <laughs> podcast network. However, the things that we try to do when we produce podcasts here are um, pay attention to length, pay attention to pacing, pay attention to how the guests are introduced and keeping that flow going. Music, sound effects, sound quality. There are all kinds of things you can do to amp up the quality of the, of the, of the podcast. At the end of the day though, it's content. And it's the personalities that you have on the show because the great weapon of podcasting is you can get to know someone by listening to their podcast in a way that you simply can't by reading an article that they put out or a blog post or anything like that. Hi, once again. Hi, once again, it's David Yaz. Hi, once again, it's David Yaz with the Boston Podcast Network here to tell you about the Legal Marketers Association. The LMA is a community that brings together all types of industry specialists from firms of all sizes, consultants and vendors, lawyers, marketers from other professions, and marketing students can connect and share their collective knowledge. Members at every stage of their career benefit from the LMA participation because of the broad array of programs and services can be tailored to all of their needs. Visit LegalMarketing.org to learn more and to download the membership brochure. LMA, Legal Marketing. Go to LegalMarketing.org. Now back to the show. Matt, were there any uh, uh, challenges or roadblocks or obstacles that you faced with setting up your podcasting uh, at your firm? At Choate Hall and Stewart? Yeah, um, I'll agree with, with Greg. Um, I think, you know, you, you can't just create a podcast for everyone who, who says they want a podcast because it's, it's a new thing. You know, I'll quote the great Miles Davis, right? And I think he used to say a lot, in jazz, sometimes it's the notes you don't play that make all the difference. Um, and so we all, I'm guessing the majority of the people on this call, because it's an LMA uh, sponsored event, you know, we, we all work with lawyers, right? So when you launch any new marketing initiative, you have to go through the process at a law firm of creating consensus to do it and looking for the budget and the investment from a time perspective to get it up and running. And so there's a lot of awareness that you're, you're kind of creating this new thing or you're kind of walking down the hallways with this new initiative. And so when that happens, you, you inevitably end up with a lot of hands raised when the product itself is ready that says, oh, hey, me too, I, I think I should have a podcast, right? And I equate it a little bit uh, with the blogs of, you know, 
probably 10 or more years ago. Uh, and I think we've all been in the category where, hey, we want to launch a corporate blog. Offer needs a blog. And then you launch one, and then the next practice group launches one. And then, and then most firms found themselves 10 years ago with five or six or more blogs because every practice group or partner wanted one. Um, and I think, I think if we were going to start that process over, we all hopefully would have told some people no, right? Because what happens is, is everybody gets excited. You launch the blog or you launch the podcast with an episode or two, and, and then maybe you get pulled away on a new client matter and, and you don't have enough voices in the, in the process. And you end up with these stale blogs and, and all these law firm websites had them that hadn't been updated in three months. Um, and all the marketing people show up to the practice group lunches and you know, at the very end of the meeting when everyone's finished their sandwiches and are running off to do client work, you kind of raise your hand and say, oh, who's gonna write the blog this week? And all the partners are gone because they knew the question was coming. And you've got some poor third-year associate that's like, oh, I guess I'm going to write it. And you chase this poor person around for three weeks and they hand you in something that is not timely or was timely when they started the draft and three weeks later it's not. Um, but you publish it because we got to update the blog. Um, and so I think the biggest challenge we faced was, was saying, hey, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to invest the money and the time um, and we're going to announce that we have this, but we're, we need permission to say no to people so we don't end up with you know 15 podcasts that get updated every four months um and so you have to have to to, to greg's point he said content strategy i'll say editorial strategy you need to know what you want to talk about and and have a good kind of cadence along with that um, and then also understand you know it's not this field of dreams mentality where we launch a podcast you know people will show up and we'll just we'll get it done then right you need to do a lot more of the legwork and the planning work before um, it's coming out. Um, and the last challenge I'll say that we went through is, is similar with any storytelling. Uh, you know, we say the best pieces of communication have a beginning, a middle, uh, and most importantly, an end. Um, and sometimes it's the end of that dialogue. Um, just like a media interview, sometimes it's hard to kind of go in there and say, you've said enough. If you say any more, we're going to be in trouble. So it's finding that time to end it. Uh, I was on a law firm website recently, and I won't call anybody out by name, but I saw a podcast, and the runtime was like 85 minutes. Um, and I just think sometimes this, there should just be this obvious sense that those are not quality marketing products because no one has the attention span to listen to 85 minutes. And so keep it pointed, keep it timely, and uh, know when to shut it off. And, and if you can't shut it off, know when to make that, you know, a two-part uh, episode series to, to get all the content out there. All right, now Matt touched on this a little bit, so I'm gonna uh, ask Greg this question. Um, and it's the, like the million dollar question. And really it, it doesn't even just have to do with podcasts, it has to do with any marketing activity, I think in a law firm. And that is, how do you get the engagement from the lawyers? How do you get them to buy in and participate? I guess if you can answer this question, then we're all going to be millionaires, right? Because uh, it'll solve <laughs> all of our problems. Um, gosh, uh, I feel like I'm not going to give the million dollar answer. Maybe it'll be a $500,000 answer and you'll just have to live with it. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. I had said before, my, my experience, you know, working at a large firm with a lot of different lawyers is sometimes they, they come to us and say, I want to do podcasts or to, to Matt's point, you know, they saw us do one and then everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. Like, like blogs is a great, you know, great example of that as well. Um, but really that's not, look, it's, it's sort of like our jobs every day. There's stuff that we react to and we either do what, you know, what we've been asked or we sort of redirect it in a way that makes sense. Um, and then there's a the stuff that, that we, as the, as the marketing professionals, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for everyone, but it's certainly my life that, that we want to drive, right? Regardless of who wants to do what, we know what the firm's strategy is and we're trying to drive it, right? So podcasts for us are in the latter category. You know, it's not just something we're making available to you. It's definitively a thing we want to drive. And I think we're going to be pulled kicking and screaming into some make it available, but in, a, in an explicit way. We have a Sidley podcast. It's very intentional. And so to your point, Scott, is sort of like we actually – want to engage certain of our spokespeople, subject matter experts, because we determine right or wrong, hopefully right, that's a topic we want to get out with. Uh, we've done topics recently on Brexit, on cannabis, 
obviously more than enough stuff on COVID-19, um, you know, but all that's sort of intentional. There's a timing aspect to it. You know, in June, you know, maybe we're going to do something around the Supreme Court, right? Because their docket's going to come out, whatever it might be. And so we want to go to certain people. Most of the time I go to people, I get reticence. You know, I don't really want to do that. And frankly, our best spokespeople are the best because they're the subject matter expert. They may not actually be our best spokespeople, right? This might not be a medium that we have high confidence. And so how do we get them engaged and then set them up for success? Mostly what I'm doing is I got to break down the scariness factor. It's like, we're, this is not a you're delivering a formal presentation. That's not how we do it. This is a conversation with a host, right? It's a Q&A. It's an interview. Uh, you know, David used the, the radio analogy. I was in, I, I hosted a radio show for 10 years. I feel like all I was doing was podcasting back in the mid nineties, um, early nineties. So, so it feels very familiar. And what, what, what the role that my team and I play is in getting them comfortable that they can have a good conversation, right? The questions that we're asking are scripted, not like word for word, but getting them comfortable that they can provide answers. And by the way, go on tangents in the middle of the, the podcast with, with our lawyers, we say, be prepared. You're going to say something and our host might take us down a certain path. We are not wedded to the script of questions that we were going to ask because we want it to be interesting. Right. And just the last thing I'll say to Matt's point, we are not afraid of just saying, uh, cutting off the conversation. I mean, the way we're doing our podcast is this is not designed to be a nice, tidy thing, you know, wrapped up in a bow. That's, that doesn't mean that's a bad idea. That's, it depends on your strategy. We are ready for this to be a tight, 20 to 30 minutes, 30 minutes is long in our opinion for what we're trying to do um, and to leave you wanting more. And if the conversation needs to end, we either say maybe we'll pick up on it again later um, or we're just going to be done, right? You know, it's like that was the good conversation. But we, the, you know, that process, once we do it once with a lawyer and get them comfortable, you know, they, they usually come back wanting more. So that's just a little story about how we do it. Okay. Thank you. Um, David. What would you say is more important? Or let's talk about why each are important. Technical quality or and or the content of a podcast? Yes, they're all very important, Scott. So the, the, I, I, most people will, most people in the podcasting industry will tell you content is king above all else. And that's why don't worry about buying the best equipment and don't, don't worry about making it actually picture perfect in terms of how it sounds. But have the information that people want. I tend to think that you need both to some degree. Um, if you tune into a podcast for the first time, it's been recommended by someone and it sounds like the person is in their basement and then the guest chimes in and you can barely hear the guest because it sounds like they're talking on a flip phone from 1998. I'm going to turn it off. I don't know about the rest. I, I think you've got, you know, a minute or so to, to hook people's attention. So, it's, um, you know, it's a relatively little investment. Um, you don't have to come work with a professional like me, although I'd be delighted to talk to you about it. But uh, simply buying a USB, quality USB microphone for less than $100 and, you know, putting some time into researching how to, how to get that technical aspect done is, um, is worthwhile, I think, absolutely. And then, you know, the editing, we, we do nothing but edit here. <clears throat> That's not true. We do a lot of things. But we edit a lot and, and to... Um, point Greg made earlier, by the way, in cutting off conversation, don't forget the power of editing. Just because some lawyer drones on and on doesn't mean you can't take a knife to it afterwards. So the, you know, the, the, both, both are very important, I think. And just to, to amplify one other point Greg made about going down tangents, that's actually sometimes the beauty of a podcast is the, the unexpected conversations and the stories that come out along the way. That's the thing that's going to let your listeners get to know you a little bit better. And that's why it's important for the, the two to listen to each other. We produced a podcast once where a woman was interviewing a personal trainer and she was doing an icebreaker question and she said, what's your favorite cocktail? And he said, well, I'll have a gin and tonic now and again, but I don't drink really so much anymore, but that's a long story. And to her credit, she was listening and she said, well, we got time. It's a podcast. Tell us what the story is. It turns out the guy had a story about how he missed a meeting in college um, and he had a, lot, a job lined up after and because he, he had been drinking, he missed that meeting and it changed the course of his life. Anyway, that was the most compelling part of the whole podcast. So for as far as the quality of content goes, yes, they should be real natural conversations. And just to put a button on it, 
those conversations don't need, don't often need a ton of prep. If you've got personalities at your law firms that you know, like to tell stories and are good at telling stories, you can tell that person, you don't have to write an article this week. You don't have to write a blog post this week. You have to show up and talk and you don't even need to prep for it that much. Show up on this Zoom call at X amount of time and we've got your podcast. We might do a little editing afterwards, but we want that, you know, um, sort of unvarnished view of what you are because that's why people are going to like you and probably ultimately hire you. Back to you, Scott. Yeah, so that's a great point. You know, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, and Dave knows this, is uh, called The Doughboys. And the whole um, premise of their podcast is talking about chain restaurants and fast food restaurants and reviewing them. But, you know, in the hour-long podcast, they, they probably only talk about that for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Really, the entertainment and the engagement is all the storytelling and the back and forth and the and the personalities. So the question I have um, for Greg and, and Matt is, you know, I know a lot of professionals at podcasts like investment advisors and, and lawyers take things so seriously, but I, I think you have to keep it engaging to get people to listen a second time. You, you know, their personalities do have to come through. So do you guys have um, some sort of formula or uh, I know you said you, you have scripts, but you can go off scripts. But do you do you set it up for these attorneys to be able to um, inject their personalities and and keep it lively? What do you do? We'll start with Matt. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's anytime someone shows up to the podcast recording session with a stack of papers and it's their intent to kind of read verbatim because um, that's what's their comfort zone and and that's kind of the crutch that they've been able to lean on historically with other thought leadership categories like blogs and contributed content um, i think you have to get in there before the the record button is even pressed and say listen you know no one's going to like this product um, especially you uh, if you just read verbatim uh, because that's going to come across in the audience um, so what we encourage is 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 bullet points, right? Like if you're giving a prepared statement or, or if you're presenting at a conference, you know, historically folks aren't, aren't gonna bring a written kind of script. Uh, and so if they wanna put bullets in front of them and hit the high points, that's great. But we also wanna make sure that they're kind of leaving some room there so they can inject their personality. Uh, you know, these are conversations. I think you have to get them comfortable. Maybe it's not on the first recording, um, but, if you keep these conversations tight, typically you have the ability to play back that recording to the individual. And our experience is the first time they hear what they sound like reading from a script, um, you know, they're not going to pick up those papers again. They're going to they're going to try it a different way because ultimately, you know, lawyers lawyers have to protect their brands, and, and that's the first way to kind of uh, to not protect it. So if you kind of sound stale and stiff, Greg. Um, yeah, no, I, I, um, it's in, in interesting. I got a couple of thoughts about this. The first thing, for those of you that will get the reference, um, we take a Blair Witch Project approach. So if everyone, whoever knows the movie, you know, remember, you'll, if, if you remember, it was sort of, you watch this movie and you think, wow, it's, you know, some kids who did a, you know, home movies and they spliced it together and brought it to the theater. So no, that's not what happened. This is, it was produced to look that way. It was produced to look unproduced. Right. And that's what we're trying to do. I, I think accidental good things happen, but if you don't plan for them in a certain way, you're leaving it to chance as to whether those good accidental things will happen. So uh, we do have a formula. The formula is we have a prep discussion about the topic. We map out the kinds of questions that the host will ask, but the Blair Witch part of it, the production part is on the host and with us we really engineer what we're trying to get to, not by scripting word for word, but by saying, we're gonna ask these questions. And of course, on the spot, the host will zig, zag, jig, jag, you know, whatever. Um, but again, we don't rely on that to get pearls. We engineer for pearls. And uh, I'll tell you another thing, you know, I re referred to before that, um, uh, you know, some lawyers who are not comfortable will tend to come with a script. I can't tell you how many times we start the thing. The first question goes to the lawyer. They start reading, and we go, eh, "Stop! We're that's we're we're not gonna. 
that's that's you know to David's point, like that's going to hit the editing floor. And not only that, we're we're just not going to do that. And we stop and re-engineer them. But let me tell you, the funny thing is, what we do is we stop, but we keep recording, because what happens is in telling them why we don't want to do that, we sort of say, let's just step back. What are you thinking? And that's when the pearls will come, unscripted. But like when we sort of say, instead of reading from your script, can you just answer this question? And we're not tricking them, but we're recording when we take the official break to have a conversation about what we're going to do next. And very often, that's what's going to make it into the edit is that stuff that was not formally part of the part of the interview. Um, here's a question. Uh, I was once at a uh, legal marketing association annual conference, and they had a panel of um, in-house counsel. And one of the this was back in the olden days, so there weren't podcasts or blogs or things of that nature, but there were articles and publications. And one of the um, in-house lawyers said, gee, we would love if our lawyers would ask us to co-author articles and present things like that. It would be a great opportunity for us. And so I guess my question now is to you folks, do you ever invite any of your clients on to participate in your podcast? And is that a possible, you know, engagement tool for client retention or, you know, any other positive thing that you can do with a client? Uh, oh, I have to pick one. How about Matt? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we do that pretty frequently on the investment advisors podcast side. Um, you know, we, we have this philosophy in our marketing group that at the firm as well is anytime you have the opportunity to advance your client's career or advance your client's brand or their interest, uh, you know, that's a natural business development point. That's a natural inflection point uh, to kind of strengthen the relationship, right? And I'm sure others would agree that, you know, in, in legal marketing, you know, it's about helping our attorneys create stronger relationships with, with the folks who are going to give them interesting and important matters. So, like I said, anytime you can have the opportunity to kind of co-market or co-brand and advance the career, advance the profile of, of your clients. Um, I think I'll tell people to jump at that every every chance they get. Right. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't actually have a lot to say about that. I, I completely agree with the pre the question and Matt what, with what you're doing. We're not doing that. Um, our launch into formal podcasting is first and foremost about our exercising the muscle. Are, get, are being able to use the fact that we're doing podcasts, the shiny object, as a way to focus our content strategy. So it's actually a way in which we can have the conversation more strategically across the different tactics and the different uh, channels that, that we use. And um, one of the reasons that that's working so far is we have a really great host. Um, and that's sort of a different topic. We use, we have a lawyer who is really committed to spending the time which could be a whole other topic of conversation. I mean, this stuff doesn't just happen and the host spends a lot of time researching topics and thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Blair Witch thing, like not over scripting, but being really prepared. Um, and so the host is a, is, a, is a personality every time and consistent. And since we're trying to do 20 minutes, we just, you know, sort of one, we've had two people be interviewed that tends to get us past 20 minutes for whatever reason. And we're trying to keep it really tight. So I think our uh, next season, if you will, we're still sort of in season, maybe 1.5 of the primary Sidley podcast. Um, you know, we, I, I think this will come up. I think it's a great idea. I completely agree with Matt's point. I mean, we do it in a lot of other ways, webinars and other ways where we're co-presenting, mm -hmm. uh, but, but right now we're just really focusing on getting the Sidley folks to be able to use this medium effectively. Okay. Scott, can I jump in on that one? Oh, please? sure you can. So um, uh, to take it a step further, and, and Greg, his po Greg's podcast definitely has a, a different purpose and maybe doesn't lend itself to guests, but having guests on your pod is a fan fantastic device for networking, for client development, and everything in between. If you have, say you're a law firm and you represent entrepreneurs and corporate CEOs, you invite one of those CEOs to come on your, your show we want you to come on the show and tell the story. So now you're, you're inviting them to do something you maybe typically wouldn't do. It's not just come to the Red Sox game. It's not just let's go to the Palms, let me take you out to dinner. It's actually, we want you to tell your story and we want to share that with everyone that we know. 
one of the uh, tricks to developing a podcast is building audience. It's, it's, it's not easy and you have to build it brick by brick, but you actually don't need to worry about your listenership so much. If the purpose of your podcast is to, to salute clients or other people in your circle of friends that are important to you, because you produce that podcast, it's a great episode and you put it on your website and you put it on your LinkedIn page and you say, just had a fantastic conversation with this very interesting executive. Meanwhile, the executive is, is going to want to share it with his or her network. So now you've got the, the client not only impressed and hopefully very happy that you've done him a solid or her, but, but they're also sharing it with, they're doing marketing for you, for your law firm. So it's just a, a, a brilliant kind of win-win all around. Thanks, Scott. Sure. Good answer. As far as I know. Oh, shucks. Thanks. Um, what, David, what, are, what are the, what, are, when your lawyer clients come to you and say, I want to start a podcast, what are they looking for? What, what kind of return on investment do, the, do they want? What's their goal? Is it just dollars and cents? Explain mm -hmm. to me what, what lawyers ask you uh, about what yeah. they're going to get back after they start a podcast. You know, quite frankly, if lawyers come to me and say, before we get started, we just want to make sure we know exactly what our return on investment is for this podcast. Uh, I usually get a stomach ache. Sometimes I start to sweat. It's frankly, or but I try to explain to them why it's, it's actually not a very good question because a podcast shouldn't be thought of as some enterprise like you're launching this, you know, TV show that's going to be a big hit and you're going to sell advertising and everything else or that it's going to be some can't miss thing that millions of people are going to listen to and immediately hire you because they heard your podcast. It's really more of uh, another arrow in the quiver of your whole marketing arsenal. I think I mixed a metaphor. Sorry, everyone. But um, instead of doing a blog, instead of, do, or in, as a compliment to doing blogs, uh, you know, scholarly articles, speaking engagements and things like that, it's another way to engage the, the, the people. And let's face it, there are, there are people that will read the articles, that will read the blog posts. There are many people that might be sick of doing that, might have fallen out of the habit of doing it. There's a whole generation of people listening to podcasts. The numbers are undeniable. They go up every day. And so I think of it as a compliment to that. And so in the, in part, of, <clears throat> in part of that dynamic is what are you getting out of it? Well, if you're inviting guests on your podcast, I already spoke about, you're already getting the sort of wheel of networking where every week you're doing this, this great solid by letting someone important to you tell their story. And then it's also um, just simply another touch point that is, is not maybe old and dated like others. And a lot of people that might not have connected with you before will all of a sudden become interested in you because they're fans of the medium because they love their podcast. Thank you. So before I ask another question, um, uh, we're a little bit more than halfway through this program and you folks are all welcome to uh, send in questions via the chat function and the fabulous Lisa Murray, who by the way is responsible for putting this whole program together. Lisa Murray is the program chair in our uh, Boston Legal Steering Committee and she is dynamite. Applause, good, good use of the applause button. So let me, let me go back to the question asking and ask uh, all three of you, do you have any um, success story? Do you have, can you point to anything that has happened as a result of uh, your lawyers podcasting that you can put a finger on and say, hey, something good happened? Let's start with Greg. Um, Sure, I've got definitively a couple of cases where the one good thing happened. You know, someone listened, reached out, and we developed business. I mean, that that did happen, and I completely agree with David's point. I mean, as someone, whether it's podcasts or you know, we're going to do some piece of thought leadership, and then you get into that conversation about where you know how's this going to pay off and what's the ROI. I get me you know my head spins, and after I calm down from being angry for the what I call what I think is the dumb question, which is not really fair then I kind of walk them through. But the reality is it, it happens. Uh, it can happen. It's not something that we can micro engineer to have happen. But um, in our case, um, you know, not to, not to divulge secrets, we, um, but we, we did a pretty significant program around Brexit and it's not like we were selling services, you know, but that conversation was very robust and led to contact. Um, and we actually, you know, uh, hope and assume that it will not as a quid pro quo, so to speak, you know, uh, listen to podcasts, got contract, you know, but um, uh, that that has happened. And we share the 
e emails come into whether it's the participant or the host of the program or even to the general marketing mailbox. And that's, you know, um, it's been something we have seen. So I just, I just don't want to overlook that that bottom line sort of, you know, thing that you're trying to get out of this exercise has worked uh, for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would equate a podcast ROI strategy similar to, a, you know, maybe a LinkedIn or a social media ROI kind of discussion. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't care what you're doing on social media, you can't pick up those likes and shares and bring them to the bank and cash them in for revenue, right? So it's, it's about kind of understanding how you move through the funnel of your marketing strategy. Um, you know, for us, we're a handful of months into this program, um, you know, and, and, and the pandemic certainly didn't help us in the sense of, uh, you know, we built out this podcasting studio capability in our offices and um, guess what, we're not going to be in our offices for, you know, nine months. Uh, and when we are in our offices, I can't imagine anybody really feeling like they're going to want to share a microphone with someone, um, you know. Uh, so. You know, for us, it's it's about you know that top of funnel brand awareness and bringing them into the mid funnel. Um, you know, we deploy software on our website um, that tracks IP known IP addresses, right? A lot of people know the different brands out there that can track that information. And so, what we do with any content that we put out and when we run it through our distribution platform, whether it be social or email or, or other mediums, is we take a look at those metrics about who is engaging that content. Uh, and where they're from, right? And when you parse out all of the different law firms, probably marketing people checking out what everybody else is doing, you can kind of narrow that down between a handful of companies that, um, you know, your lawyers, the practice groups of lawyers attached to that piece of content, um, you know, view as, as big prospects or promoters or, or kind of count on existing clients, right? And so it's about taking a look at those names and, and kind of an account-based marketing strategy I see that four people from Bain Capital listen to this podcast on, um, you know, deferred dividends. Um, you know, I have a pretty good sense of who those folks are, and this is a, this is an opportunity, an inflection point, to get back in touch with them. Because at the end of the day, like if you just have this top of funnel brand awareness strategy, you're not you're not converting that business. So, um, you know, we're still waiting for that uh, golden goose of a of a big fat client that we can point to and say, podcasting pay for itself. Um, and I'm, and I'm confident we'll get there. But for us, it's about driving people back to our platform and, and taking a look at what they're doing, uh, where are they going after they listen to the podcast, you know, who are they reaching out to directly from the website, what else are they investigating, um, you know, so, so those things. This is kind of right now what we're, we're looking at as the most important ROI. All right. Hey, David, how about you? Any of your uh, podcasters have a success story? It doesn't have to be dollars and cents. Maybe it led to another opportunity or speaking engagement or something like that but you i'm betting i've got a dollar right here that says <laughs> okay that you have a specific success story to tell uh quite possibly <laughs> thank you uh so <clears throat> yeah i'll give you one so i, I had a lawyer i i do a, a show called the boston podcast i invite professionals of all sorts to be on but i had a lawyer that was on and we had a good conversation, but just what about what he did. He uh, let me know a few months later that he said, hey, you know, I, I got a client out of your show. And I said, really? Okay. And he said, well, the person was looking to hire either me or another lawyer. They just Googled me. They found the episode that you did. They listened to the conversation and they said they were impressed. So it, it's, that's a good success story. And it wasn't even his show, by the way. It's my show. What the hell? But it brings up something interesting. And that's that Think about when, when your clients hire your lawyers, what kind of due diligence do they do to make sure they're hiring the right person? Of course, they're going to go to the website. They're going to look at the bio. They're going to, you know, maybe look at exemplary cases and the, all kinds of things like that. If there's a podcast there with that lawyer speaking and either telling a story, answering questions, now they know what the lawyer sounds like. Now they might even know a little bit about that lawyer's personality. Now they might even like that lawyer as they're, you know, getting to know the lawyer before they've even met them because they've heard their voice in, in this setting that's been professionally produced and, and shined up as best as it can. So that's a, an example of a success story. And it's uh, maybe a good lesson. It's a podcast is a great way to put your best foot forward. Nice. I guess I owe you $1. Mortimer. Yep. Scott, we have a question from the audience. All right. Why don't you read it out? Yes. So our good friend, Deb Ferrone is asking, what types of things are you doing to drive listeners to your podcast? Anyone want to take that? 
I can start with that one, Scott, if you want. Why not? So it, it's, it's the, the important cursory tell I always tell for our clients when we create podcasts for them is just know that you start at zero, zip, no end. And if you haven't seen it, there's a viral video going around a bunch of celebrities from Britain. It's a public service announcement saying, please don't start a podcast. Please don't because everyone has one and no one wants to hear your podcast. So that's not true that not everyone wants to hear podcasts. They will want to hear your podcast. But in, in the sea of all, of, of all these shows, you start at zero. So the way you, the, way, the, the tried and true ways, and I've been to the conferences, I've listened to the experts in podcasting, the tried and true ways of building an audience is not necessarily what you might think. It's not a big marketing campaign. It's not buying a bunch of Google ads or a bunch of Facebook ads or anything like that. It's actually more akin to traditional networking. It's brick by brick. It's can I go to the people that I trust in my network and ask them, do me a favor and share this podcast if you like it. It's inviting guests on that are going to do the same because you stand the chance of, you know, really doubling your audience every time you get a new guest. Maybe not quite doubling, but you get the point. They're going to share it with their network. And then if they're those, those listeners, they, they might tune in for the guest, but they might return for the show if it's a, if it's a really great show. It's mentioning the, the podcast at speaking engagements. It's, it's developing ambassadors. Having people... Um, interact with your podcast is a great way. So say, you know, at the tail end of the show, we just want to give a shout out to this person happens to be a client of the firm. Ask this question. Now you've got that person engaged in the podcast themselves. They're going to want to share it. Hey, it was nice. Somebody gave me a mention in this podcast. So those, those are the best ways to, to build it. It truly is brick by brick. Uh, Matt, what are you guys doing to um, build listenership and promote? Yeah, I mean, I really can't argue with anything that, that David said. Um, I don't think there's a real magic, uh, you know, uh, blueprint uh, for this. It's a, it's an asset, just like anything else you have is an asset. And um, you know, I've always been taught as a marketer that you know you don't kind of you don't go chasing for an audience uh, when you launch a new asset. You kind of look at your existing audience and see if it's an opportunity to connect with them in a new and meaningful way. Um, and so I think you start by doing those things. Um, if anybody thinks that you're going to launch a podcast at a law firm and wake up in a week and you're going to be viral and in the top five on iTunes, uh, I would suggest that you kind of rethink um, your aspirations. You know, this is, this is an ability for us to talk to clients and prospects and promoters um, with the added benefit that being on those, those amplification platforms may get us a, a new listener that we haven't, uh, we haven't engaged with. So. Um, run it through your distribution platform to start. Um, you know, one thing that I think we do that I like um, you know, when we have a podcast, you know, we'll run that audio. We've got a great team at show uh, with a lot of different you know, people who bring different talents to the, to the process. But we've got a, uh, someone on the team who's really strong in kind of, kind of video and digital assets. And what she does is she'll run the first four to five minutes, because I think that's the cutoff um, of the audio over kind of an image. Um, so she can push that video file on LinkedIn as a video, but it gives people the opportunity to listen directly in the LinkedIn platform for the first, you know, four or five minutes with that kind of call to action to drive them back to listen to the whole thing. So I think there is a little bit of that creativity, but at the end of the day, you know, as, as Greg mentioned, you know, we're, you know, we're not making widgets here. It's just, uh, you know, take a simple approach to, to get the language out there and, and evaluate and experiment as you go. Mm -hmm. Greg, what are you uh, folks doing to promote your podcasts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think both uh, David and Matt said some important things. I mean, I really agree um, about the sort of one-to-one -one brick, you know, brick by brick uh, approach. I think I'm just gonna say one other thing, just not, not to be contrary. Um, my, my goal, my ultimate goal is not to build listenership for a podcast. I mean, I, I'm, I'm running a marketing program. so. So I do, of course, this, that's what this topic is today. So you do want to increase the, the listenership. I'm not really measuring success personally by that metric. Um, it's, it's a data point. It's an, it's an important one. It's not, not like it doesn't matter, but I'm really looking at that in concert with the other ways in which we are raising our visibility and profile around topics that we want to be known for. And so the podcast one and, and the other point, you know, David made is like, this is just not something I think I'm going to, you can move the needle. Everyone will say like, you know, how many people would listen and we'll give a number and everyone's like, well, is that a good number or a bad number? I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I have an opinion one way or the other. If I double that number in the space of two months, is that, is that really success? I mean, yes, in some ways, does, does it 
lead me to my ultimate goal? No idea by itself. I mean, in and of itself. So my only point is that I'm always trying to steer the conversation a little bit broader than just focusing, hyper-focusing on what are all the things we're going to do to get broader listenership. It's like, no, if you're doing a content strategy approach, if that's important to you, you got to look across the board at the, the sort of the basket of metrics and see, see what's happening. That's all. Uh, but otherwise I agree with certainly very much with what Matt and David said. Well, Scott, one thing to add, if I could, Please um, do. Greg spot on, by the way, exactly, exactly right. And chasing like numbers. And I have clients who always want to know what their numbers are. And I always cringe a little bit because it's why are the numbers important to you? Why are you doing this in the first place? It, one, just one thing to add on to is don't underestimate the fact that, that, they can be really fun. Like the, if you get a couple of lawyers who are enthusiastic about producing a podcast, then all of a sudden you've engaged them maybe in a way, maybe they can't stand writing, right? And, may, and maybe that's their thing. They're going to be producing something that they're proud of. They're going to be more maybe engaged in the whole idea of marketing. And also they're creating a library that they're proud of. If they like doing it, then it's inevitably going to be good, or at least they're going to want to learn how to make it better. And for, and by and large, podcasts are evergreen. You know, you will get, if you think about the way, I know people on the line are fans of podcasts. You think about when you discover a podcast, it's rarely at episode one. It could be at episode 10. It could be in season 10. And you will go back and listen to the old ones if you dig it. Or maybe you'll cherry pick the ones of topics that might. So, it's, so uh, again, just to amplify Greg's point, you, you can't measure the success and, and you can't measure the success right away. It, it's a project that will, if it's done right and done well, will pay dividends far into the future. Um, Lisa, any questions from the group? Not at this time. I, I can't believe that uh, LMA Hall of Famer Jim Durham hasn't chimed in with a question, but uh, there's still time left, Jim. Um, what about the pandemic and podcast listenership is, um, there he is, <laughs> is, um, listenership in general up for podcasts during the pandemic? People aren't commuting as much, but maybe they're walking more or working from home and listening in the background. And then Greg and Matt, uh, have you seen any fluctuation in, uh, your podcast, uh, you know, listenership, I guess is the word. Dave? Scott, yeah, I, I can give the sort of industry news. <clears throat> there was a, admittedly a fear that since so many people listen to podcasts in their car, that listenership would drop off during the pandemic because we don't use cars anymore. Those are those things with the steer. Anyway, so um, it's, it just hasn't come to pass. Podcast listener, listenership has been up during the pandemic. It turns out that there are a greater number of people who actually listen in their home than listen in the car. So even though many of us may listen in the car, listen in the gym on the, on the, you know, on your uh, phone, um, they've gone up. And I think the, the time that people have had on their hands and the, and the ability to look for new content because they've burned through every Netflix program there is, has uh, outweighed any, any drop off we might've had. So the, I have industry numbers here. I'm not going to bore people with them. I could maybe make them available later, but they're pretty much up across the board. Listenership is up and um, by, and still, still though, people will listen most frequently on their smartphone and Apple podcast continues to be the one app that dominates the field. Although Spotify is a comer, but Apple podcast continues to be King. Although you didn't ask that Scott, but you know, that one's for free. I appreciate it. <laughs> Scott, we do have a question from the audience. Okay. Uh, from Lauren Allen, any thoughts on podcasts where attorneys want to mix humor or personal interests with legal topics rather than a podcast that is strictly informational? Um, this is this is Greg. I mean, I'll just take a, a stab at that. But with that question, I was reading it before. Um, I, it makes me think of I don't know if people watch it. Uh, Preet Bharara's uh, podcast. Um, and I've always, uh, first of all, I think he does a great job, but also this is a perfect example. I mean, he, he's, I won't get into the detail. He's done podcasts that are, that are not legal topics, right? Now, uh, I, bet, I bet David would have a view on this. Um, I think you have to earn the right to an, earn an audience in order to do something that is not obviously associated with your brand. So, I work at Sidley. No one's going to tune into a Sidley podcast to have us talk about cooking, right? I mean, like, who cares, right? Um, but, if you, but if you've really got an audience and you feel confident in that, 
then I, I think it's important to mix up the interests uh, for us. And again, it really depends on the strategy of your podcast. Um, we're basically trying to be informational. We're trying to be timely with information. And it's certainly legal topics, not black letter law legal, but legal topics of general interest. But um, I, I, I don't want us to be afraid. And like, with, for example, when we did the cannabis one, of course, we're we took it for a legal topic. Um, uh, you know, and we made sort of subtle references to the, to the jokes that would come around, you know, such a, such a topic. But so if you don't take one that's maybe as incendiary as that, I want us to go off outside of the rails a little bit to number one, mix in humor, definitely full stop, definitely do that, I, w I would say. Um, and we try to do that, but to, but to make it personal, to get into personal topics, David gave an example earlier. I remember about the, that being the interesting part of the podcast, the memorable thing. People aren't going to walk away with, I remember the five key points you were trying to make. Forget that. One or two, you know, maybe two if you're lucky, you know, so that's just, again, you know, uh, how, how we're looking at it and how I think about it personally. Matt, would you like to chime in? I mean, I think the one thing I'll add is, is that, at Choate, we, we will say frequently that we are well aware that our clients are very sophisticated buyers of legal services, right? And, you know, I say that because, you know, that means if they're talking to us, if they're listening to our podcast, they're reading our materials, they're inviting us, you know, for new business opportunities or, or meetings, they've done their due diligence on, on whether or not we can, we can handle, you know, their, their matters, right? And so I think part of their evaluation process at a certain point is to make sure that they are going to want to hire people who, who they were going to want to work with, right? So to a certain degree, adding your personality to that mix is, is helpful. Um, I won't go down the rabbit hole of what topics are and are not appropriate. I think that's a shitty, shitty way to spend your time. Um, sorry. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if you were to meet somebody in a networking event or if you're going to sit down at a new business opportunity, um, your personality is going to come out a little bit and that's important. So, you know, find out what that right, you know, uh, you know, layer of, of that is and deliver it. Now, I'm sure a lot of personal conversations could have come, come up on the, the cannabis uh, episode, particularly if you go back to the college days, uh, for some of us, um, definitely not me. Um, but I think, you know, Greg had a, you know, probably had a hard job there to make sure that that kept it, he kept it focused, but, but the humor was there, so people want to tune in and listen. As we said earlier, no one's tuning in for a second time if, if they, you know, press play and they hear somebody reading from a script back and forth for 85 minutes. So, um, you know, you, you got to make it the best business development tool you can based on the personality and the, the temperature that your, your folks are willing to, to submit to. David, do you want to chime in on that? I think we talked about it a little bit. But. Uh, sure. And by the way, Matt, no need to apologize. Everyone knows you can swear on podcasts. And if you do it again, though, I do have the, the a sound effect uh, available. Oh, shoot. I turned it off. Wait, where is it? Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, so the, the, the answer is, is it depends to sound like the, to bring out the lawyer in me. But um, I think Greg's right in, in the comment you made about earning it. And the way I interpret that is if you're a divorce lawyer and you're doing a podcast on divorce law, when someone tunes in, you don't want the host and the co-host cracking wise about their latest, the latest, you know, kind of pizza they ate. That's now their favorite or the, their favorite movie that just came out, but you can earn the right to dabble into those things. If you, if it's a good show and then the people are going to want to tune in for the personalities as much as the information. So people turn into podcasts for one of two reasons. They need the information or they just want to be entertained. Now the really good ones, I think do both. It brings up an interesting point though. Let's say you're a lawyer and you represent liquor distributors or you represent um, vineyards, right? Do you want to do one about the law or do you just want to do one about wine? Do you want to do the best damn podcast there is about wine because you're a wine uh, aficionado and because you know, you know, you can interview people that are in that industry. Well, those people are your potential clients. If you're a real estate lawyer, do you want to do a podcast about real estate law or do you want to do a podcast about the development of Boston and go building by building and invite guests on that can describe the history of the way the skyline in Boston developed? That to me sounds like an interesting show and you'd be inviting guests and attracting listeners that are your potential podcast. So I encourage lawyers to think out of the box. People are going to listen to a podcast if it's, if it's good content and it could be directed more at the industry where you, where you're dealing with clients rather than a podcast, just trying to deliver, 
legal legal information knowledge in a new way. Podcast is best for storytelling. Let people tell stories and things that conversational stuff that you don't get on a webinar, speaking engagement, or an article. Thank you, Scott. Okay. So we are at about one hour. I'm going to ask Lisa if we have any questions because we're, see, one hour. I still wear a watch, by the way. I think I'm the only guy left on planet Earth. Uh, we don't have any questions coming in, but we, right. if anyone has them, we can entertain them for the next minute. Well, I'm going to then, well, here's what I'm going to do, because we have long since passed my attention span. That, that <laughs> left the station about a half hour ago, although I have been listening to every word. I'm going to give the panel one uh, last shot to, um, you know, one of the questions I had prepared was things you might recommend to a firm that's considering launching a podcast. So maybe since we talked about so many things already, if there's anything we missed that you would want to throw in uh, to a firm that's thinking about launching, let's start with Greg. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I, I'm not going to repeat some of the things I've said um, because that's what I would immediately go to. You know, we struggled with, are we going to do this ourselves? Are we going to hire someone like David? Um, we decided to hire someone like David, okay, because we looked at this as we have the technical capability to do this on an iPhone. But to my point about the Blair Witch Project, I'd rather it sound like it was done on the, you know, kind of in the rough. But if you do it in the rough, it's going to just sound like something I don't want to listen to, frankly, you know. So um, I think you just want to, you got to think about what you're trying to get out of the podcast, most importantly, and engage at that level. I think we've said enough sort of you know responding to the shiny object thing has never worked i you know and i would i would get steer the conversation more toward the you know how it goes into the mix and and what what you want this thing to be these questions questions probably my thinking would be if you if you absorbed more than one or two points out of this is like how do you turn them into the right questions to ask to engage with your stakeholders and the firms about what you're trying to achieve i, I would approach it that way as opposed to be too clear about it. it's got to be one way or another as you've heard from us We've all approached it different ways and there's so many things to consider. So I, I would think about a good list of questions to help steer what you're trying to do. All right, thank you. Thank you, Greg. Arigato. Um, Matthew, any final thoughts or tips? Tip? Yeah, so, um, you know, when we decided to, to kind of move forward with this, this capability, we, you know, we had some constraints in terms of how much we could spend you know, whether or not there's consensus that this was going to be a valuable tool. And so we decided to kind of go a little different route. And right. And so, um, you know, to, to borrow Greg's phrase, not to be kind of contrarian or, or anything like that, because I agree, you know, if we could have moved down the road and, and outsourced this for production, I think I would probably have slept better over the last few months. Uh, but for folks on the call who, who might not have that ability, uh, you know, as marketers, you know, especially legal marketers, we, we're constantly looking at other brands, um, you know, to see what they're doing, right? I don't think law firms are ever at the cutting edge of, of any of our marketing capabilities, particularly in the digital category, right? And so Nike and, and Apple and Gucci and all these big fat brands, you know, they've been doing this a lot longer than us, right? So there's a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, I tell my team, you know, don't come to me and ask me how to do something come to me and tell me that you're going to beg, borrow, and steal and, and figure it out. And then we're going to have to look at the gaps and fill those in with, with, with the real experts. And so I think there's a lot of literature out there, right? Anybody who sells a microphone uh, for podcasting capabilities um, probably has some type of content, you know, content marketing strategy that tells you how to use that microphone because they're not selling you, you know, the capability to use the microphone. They're selling you the physical product. So they don't care if they tell you how to use it. So there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of resources. Um, and so kind of do your, do your own homework. Um, there's YouTube videos that pretty much teach you how to do 90% of that stuff. Um, you know, we chose, we made a deliberate decision to spend our money to ramp up the capabilities from a technology standpoint on our website so we could host these in the ways we wanted to. Um, I see that Scott Rubenstein is on the call, so I'm going to go ahead and plug him for a second and his team, because Scott's also going to send me some type of uh, compensation for this. Uh, but his team is, was great. They've got folks on, on that team that kind of filled in that 10% of gaps that we needed. Um, and I'm sure any of your 
your uh, developers or, or kind of vendors that you work with have, have some information that they're willing to share. So um, like anything, you gotta, you gotta be an amateur in this business to get started. So, you know, that's my, that's my sign off is, you know, just take it till you make it for a lot of this stuff. All right, David, any final thoughts? It's last call, Dave. All right. All right. Let me pour myself a drink. So, um, all good points made so far, and but I'll give you a, a few quick ones just if you're trying to sort of, you know, kick your team into gear to be enthusiastic enough to actually launch a podcast. One, you don't have to think about it as some kind of long-term noose around your neck. You know, podcasts can be done in a number of different ways. You can, you can just start with a small plan of doing like a six-episode season, you know, and, and that, that's actually good because it, you learn a lot by trial and error they will ultimately not be the best podcast you produce, but they will whet people's appetite for it and they'll begin to see how it comes together. Another way is pick the people that you think the lawyers and the people that you would want to be on the podcast who, who are going to be most adept at it and get them to be guests on other people's podcasts. Um, I don't need to tell you people how to market, you know, better than I, but needless to say, there are countless podcasts always looking for guests. There are online matchmaking services that will match your lawyers with, um, you know, industry related podcasts that they should be on. That might get them excited to have their own show. And the third one, I'll, I'll, this will be uh, an open offer to anyone out there. And it's not salesmanship because it's completely on the house, but I'm always looking for guests for my podcast to put my money where my mouth is. Um, the Boston podcast, if you have, you know, your, <clears throat> the people you work with, you want them to be on a show, maybe that'll get them interested in podcasts. You can just email me. There's no fee. There's no strings attached. I just want good people on my show. Um, and I'm David at pod617.com. Yep. I've been a guest on David's podcast a couple of times. And I, I think that's why he stopped publishing the number of people that listen because my numbers were so high that it was probably kind of embarrassing for all of the people that come on that actually have knowledge and skills. How did you know, Scott? Yeah. All right. Anyway, thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, we had a lot of people on this uh, program, and I hope it was worth people's time. When somebody asked if it was going to be recorded, and the answer is yes. It is being recorded. So you'll be able to listen to it again or direct people that you think might want to learn something to listen to it later. Thanks again to Lisa for making all this happen and for Sue from the home office for uh, doing all the behind the scenes work. Um, and thank you, of course, to our panel, Greg, Matt, David. Scott, thank you. Thank you, Scott. You did a great job keeping us all in line. I would sign off, but I don't know. Do Where I have go, the ability of ending this thing? Maybe. I'm going to hit end. Bye, everybody.